says, God is faithful. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And it's the faithfulness of God that has made this possible. It's His determination. It's His willingness to do whatever it takes, to pay whatever price has to be paid so that the desire in His heart can be fulfilled. And that desire is to have the same fellowship with you and me that He enjoys with His Son, Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 1, verse 3 is another key verse in our current study. John, by the Holy Spirit, says, That which we have seen and heard we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So we see by one apostle, Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit spoke, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, speaking of our having the same fellowship with God that Jesus has with God. And then we see this confirmed with a second apostle, the apostle John, by the Holy Spirit, that he preaches. Notice what he's saying. What we have seen and heard we declare to you. He had eyewitness, firsthand experience and testimony, uh, having been perhaps the closest person on earth to Jesus while he was here as a man. And all that he had seen and experienced, he says, I declare it. But notice he declares it for this purpose, not just so that we would be saved, but so that we also may have fellowship with us. Truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So tonight, I want to do just a little bit of review, and then we'll get to some new things. We've said previously that a call to fellowship is a call to positional and functional oneness with God. When we are born again, we are made one with God. In the same way that when a husband and wife enter into a covenant before God and become one in the eyes of God, God makes them one. They're one positionally, but then they they need to go forth from that marriage ceremony, amen, and learn how to function as one. So when we were born again, we became positionally one with God. Now the Holy Spirit in us teaching us how to function in the oneness that we've already been given. We see this same oneness in the Godhead because fellowship among the members of the Godhead enable Father, Son, and Spirit to function as one. Now, we see different examples that God has provided in the Word for us to look to to see this positional and functional oneness on display. And the two places that he instructs us to look is again in the in the marriage and the oneness between a man and a woman and then also to look to the body, to a human body because it's one body with many members functioning, positioned together as one but then also functioning together as one. And so we see that we are We are, according to the Scriptures, we are the bride of Christ and we are the body of Christ. Now, Jesus functioned as one with His Father while here on the earth. And we see this in a few different passages. Again, I know I'm moving kind of quickly here. A lot of this is review. I want uh, the folks that are new with us tonight to, to be caught up to speed as best as possible. So in John chapter 10 and verse 30, Jesus says, I and my Father are one. I and my Father are one. Then we see in John chapter 5, the first part of verse 30, I can of my own self do nothing. 
And then in John 14 and 10, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Notice he's saying the Father who dwells in me does the works. So we see that Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit. He was in fellowship with God the Father, with God the Holy Spirit. And we see the functional oneness in the life that Jesus lived here among us. Now, let's jump to Ephesians chapter 5 now. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25. And rightly so, a lot of people refer to these verses for instructions on marriage. But the primary purpose for these verses is not marriage. It's to understand our positional oneness with God. And we see in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for her, that He might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the Word, that He might present her to Himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that He should be but that she rather should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. And so we see that there are different passages in the Word of God that give us the uh, the example of marriage and the oneness that takes place between a man and a woman entering into covenant with one another. And then we also see in other places in the scriptures where the body is referred to as an example for us to understand positional and functional oneness within the body. But what we have in Ephesians 5 is where these two very important and powerful examples merge together as one. Because he starts out talking about the husband and the wife coming together as one, but then he transitions over into talking about the, the husband loving his wife as his own body because he who loves his wife loves himself because in marriage the two become one. And then he says in verse 30, we are members of his body. And just to be clear that he's not just speaking metaphorically, figuratively, he says literally of his flesh and of his bones. He then says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Now, I have, um, for the last few weeks, there's this thing in my spirit that I've been trying to find the right way to say and it has to do with this last phrase, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. In other words, he's saying, look, I'm, I'm, I'm using marriage as an example for something that's much bigger than marriage. I'm using the body uh, to represent something that is much bigger than the body. And so we have here instructions for marriage between a husband and a wife, but as we've already stated, that is only secondary here. Because marriage between a husband and a wife are earthly examples of what God has always desired to have with us. Now, this is the phrase that he, he gave me, and I think this is going to maybe help 
really, I think, at least capture what I've been trying to, to, to get said, amen, for the last couple of weeks. And, and so here it is. We were destined, we were destined for the oneness with God these epitomize long before there was a body, much less a bride and a groom to epitomize them. Okay? Now, the epitome of something is, uh, is a perfect example of something. So let me, let me try to explain to you what I mean here, and hopefully the Holy Spirit's going to, I'm trusting and believing that He's going to help open this up to you, all right? What, when I say that we were destined for the oneness with God, that both a body and marriage, these two examples, that, you know, they epitomize what it is that God has always longed to have with us. God longed to have this kind of oneness with you and me before there was ever a human body to point to, much less two human bodies, male and female, to be joined together as one for us to look to as an example. All, all of this that, that we now have in creation, right, that, that didn't even exist until God created uh, heaven and earth and then the Garden of Eden and then Adam and then took woman from Adam and then the two came back together. Long before there was any of that for us to look to and, and, and have an example of, this was in the heart of God. So this is what he means that when he says, I'm not just talking about marriage here, I'm talking about a great mystery, and I'm speaking Christ concerning Christ and the church. Does that, does that help anybody? Amen. And I think there's a lot of things this will help us with. Number one is, um, we have the earthly understanding of bride and groom, right? And... For the men, being the bride of Christ can perhaps make us a little uncomfortable or awkward, but the oneness that's represented between a husband and a wife is an earthly copy of something that existed in the heart of God for you and me before He ever created a single one of us. Amen. And of course, when we move into what's next, Jesus explained to us that it will not be marrying and giving in marriage like we understand it now, okay? So we have this bracket of time while we're here on the earth where we have man and woman coming together physically, right, to represent something that was before there was a man and woman and will continue long after it's as we know it now. Amen? Okay. So... The bride and the body of Christ. Jesus recognizes and honors you as an individual member of his own body. Jesus acknowledges, and we talked about this some in discipleship class, acknowledging the good things that are in us. Jesus acknowledges that you are one with him. The reluctance to acknowledge these things is not on his side. More times than not, it's, it's or every time, if, it's, if there's a lack of if there's, a, if there's a slowness or a hesitancy to acknowledge our oneness with God, every single time it's going to be on our side, not on, not on Jesus' side. He acknowledges that you are one with Him. It's very important for you and me to acknowledge our oneness with Him. He's already acknowledged it. He, he is rejoicing over it. He is not reluctant or ashamed, uh, Hebrews 2.11 tells us. To, to acknowledge that you are with Him and that you belong to Him and you are one with Him. Now, if you are born again, 
Come on, we've got to get this. If you're born again, you are one with Jesus as much as any member of your body is one with you. Flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. You are more than an extension of His body. You are more than just a part of His body. But your body is His body. Now, let's go to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 19. And he says this, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Amen. So he's saying in the same way that the Scriptures teach when a husband and wife are married, that the husband's body no longer belongs to the husband and the wife's body no longer belongs to the wife. And when he's talking about affection here, he's not just talking about intimacy in the marriage. He's talking about um, a desire for good. He's talking about a desire to to see uh, your spouse um, content and well cared for and um, and satisfied and at peace. All all of these things that that um, are are you know spoken of in the Word of God uh, concerning the the life that God created for us to live. And so in in my marriage to Pam, I want what's good for her. I, I want her to be blessed. I I ask the Lord to show me ways that that I can be a blessing to her. Things that I can do that will lighten her load and will make her day more enjoyable. Amen. And and because this is how Christ loves the church. Now, if you think about it from a from a purely selfish perspective, and when I say selfish, again, selfishness isn't good, but when I say selfish, think self-focused perspective, right? Um we we like to uh, satisfy our needs and wants. I'm talking about personally. You know, if we're hungry and we want, you know, uh, uh, beef and cheddar at Arby's. I don't know where that came from, but you know, then you know we we're going to go get ourselves a beef and cheddar at Arby's, or you know, I don't really have a taste for that. I want this, and you know, we may drive across town to get to get something that. In other words, catering. That's thank you, Holy Spirit. That's the word. We we tend to cater to ourselves. You know, do for ourselves things that we want and, and satisfy desires and needs. And I don't, I'm not necessarily talking about something sinful or wrong. I'm just talking about, you know, appetites and, and, and things we like and, and, and what have you. And so remember now, he's saying that when this is right in a, in a marriage relationship, then the husband nourishes and cherishes the wife and her body as if it's his own body. Amen. And so what is that an example of? What is he trying to show us here? He's trying to show us that that's the attitude that Jesus has towards you as his body. That, that you are his body. That, that, that he uh, sees you uh, as, as himself. Remember what um, he said to, to Saul who was persecuting the church. He, he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Not why are you persecuting my followers? Why are you persecuting Christians? Why are you persecuting the church? Why are you? No, he says, why are you persecuting me? And of course, Saul, you know, knocked off his high horse. Who art thou, Lord? You know, I, 
not persecuting you, but let's go one of the last things that Jesus told us before he you know, went to the cross. When he explained, what did he say? If you've done it to the least of one of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. So this is how Jesus sees these things. And these, the, this is the way he acknowledges these things. And he's waiting for you and me to respond and acknowledge in the same way. Now, we've been asking and answering this question, what does it mean to be the body of Christ? What does it mean to be the body of Christ? And there are a lot of thoughts and opinions and religious philosophies that, that um, surround this question. But I think the very first one that we need to embrace and acknowledge and accept and lean into is that being the body of Christ is literal. Of his flesh and of his bones. Of his flesh and of his bones. The devil steals so many things from the body of Christ today by convincing us that they're figurative instead of literal. That it's some type of... uh, well, here's perhaps the greatest one, the new birth. The new birth. So many of God's people see the new birth as nothing more than turning over a new leaf or choosing to go a new direction or deciding that we're going to try to live God's way. No, the new birth is a literal experience. When you and I are born again, We are born a second time from a different seed. The first time we were born, the Bible says we were born from the corrupted seed of Adam. The second time we were born, we were born from the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. And because we were born of a different seed, we became a partaker of a different nature. We became a a new creation in Christ Jesus. But when we view the new birth as something figurative, And when we think of it as it's like being born again. No, it's not like being born again. It is exactly being born again. And so then we see this carries over into what does it mean to be the body of Christ? And we think in terms of like a political body or a governmental body. We think in terms of like just, you know, the Kiwanis Club or the Rotary Club, you know. And um, are you a member of the... Uh, Kiwanis Club, are you a member at the YMCA, uh, meaning that you participate in. And so we think in terms of being a member of the body of Christ, we tend to think of that in terms of church membership, meaning we've got our name on a roll somewhere uh, that's maybe a letter of membership in a drawer somewhere. And if we want to change our membership, we've got to move our letter and, and, and these kinds of things. I'm not trying to speak for or against any of that um, other than to say if that's our limited understanding of what it means to be a member of the body of Christ, heaven help us. And no wonder, no wonder the church is struggling to do what God has put the church on the earth to do. So one of the first things we have to absolutely positively come to terms with is that to be the body of Christ, is, is, it means it literally. God intends for it to be literally. And for you and I to understand it literally as he is, so are we in this world. He's not ashamed to call you brethren, amen, Adelphos, of the same nature, from the same womb, born of the same seed. And again, we could go on and on and on with this. I was, I was meditating on some of these things uh, today, and I think two things 
that we need to address when it comes to understanding fellowship. First of all, and they're related, the first one is God's not a man. Okay, God is not a man. I think sometimes we try to relate to Him and understand Him and and think of Him as being a man. God is not a man. God is God. Amen. And and He doesn't think and, and, and operate the way we are familiar with with uh, humankind thinking and operating. He said in Isaiah 55 that his thoughts and his ways are as high uh, above our thoughts and ways, mankind's thoughts and ways, as the heavens are above the earth. You're talking about next level. I mean, it's next level times next level times next level. Okay. And so when we try to think of God as you know, in the way we think or look at things, this is where we get way off base. So God's not a man. He's not a man. He had to become a man to fully understand what it is to be a man. One of the most amazing verses is that Jesus came to this earth and he had to learn obedience. He never disobeyed. Don't misunderstand me. But he'd never been tempted. He would have never been tempted as a man if the Holy Spirit had not led him into the wilderness where he was tempted. You say, well, the Holy Spirit leads us in it. No, he doesn't. We, we don't need the Holy Spirit to lead us into temptation. We take care of that plenty enough ourselves. Right? But he was tempted in your place so that he would know what it was like to be tempted so that he can help you and, and, and literally woo you and comfort you and, and help uh, you overcome temptation when you are. He knows what it's like to be one of us, but he didn't know what it was like to be one of us until he became one of us. And that, that, that freaks a lot of people out, but that's, a, that's a, exactly um, what we see in, uh, in the Scriptures. Amen. Are you still with me? All right. So, so he comes and, and he experiences uh, life uh, as one of us here on this earth. So he's not a man. He had to become a man to know what it was like to be a man so he could relate to us uh, as human beings. Amen. And that, that, is, that is profoundly powerful. But now watch this. Because he's not a man and he doesn't think and operate like a man. See, this is one of the, as it relates to fellowship. As, as humankind, we tend to be prone to, to jealousy, uh, envy, um, let, let me try to soften that a little bit, but it still is all in the same genre. Being territorial, you know, you know something about territorial. You know, this is my space, this is my place. You know, this is my woman, this is my house, this is my car. You know, these other things, and and you stay away. You all this stuff, and and so like, if we feel like somebody's kind of cutting in on something that we think is ours, uh, or somebody taking credit for something that we did or somebody getting recognition that we feel like we deserve. You know, fallen humanity and our flesh, you know, it, 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 that kind of, you understand what I'm saying, it kind of grates on us. Am I right about it? it, it kinda, and so just that we have to deal with that and overcome that and we can thank God. We have this tendency to think of God in the same way and, and that he's territorial and that Jesus is like... Um, you know, threatened. Uh, see, because a lot of this is rooted in our insecurity. 
And so when we're insecure, you know, we start getting jealous and we start getting envious and we start trying to exaggerate and compare ourselves because somebody else's success is making us feel inferior and somebody else is getting credit that we deserve, somebody else is being recognized and it should have been us. And that whole mindset carries over into, and so it's like we have this mental block that Jesus actually welcomes us in to sitting together with him in the heavenly places, that Jesus is actually thrilled for you to have the same access to his Father that he has, that Jesus paid the ultimate price so that you could be a joint heir together with him, a co-heir together with him from his Father, so that you could have the same standing with his Father that he enjoys, so that you could receive the same glory that he's been given. See, we hear all this, I mean, it's like, it's like... we start, you know, hair starts standing up on the back of our necks to think of somebody, you know, having all this kind of place and position and access and opportunity that we feel like is ours and we've earned it and we've deserved it and, and nobody else better threaten it. See, this is the thing about God. God is so secure in who he is that he is not threatened. Are you, are you seeing this? And so we, we've got to get past this mental block because if you don't, you'll, you'll keep trying to understand this from your perspective and, and your perspective will never get you there. You've got to see it from God's perspective. Remember, He forgave you for His sake because He so longs to have fellowship with you. He was willing to do whatever it took to pay whatever price He had to pay to get the sin out of the way that separated you from Him and prevented you and, and Him from having the fellowship that He created you to have. And so He did whatever it, it took so that you could have that. And, w- and when we try to understand the salvation and uh, one sacrifice for all sin for all time and a spirit now that can't sin and that spirit being sealed with the Holy Spirit so that the righteousness that's in us can't get out and the sin that's around us can't get in. We, if we don't understand those things in light of what it means to our Heavenly Father to be able to treat us like our sin never happened, then we, we'll, never, we'll always have that mental block there. He's not ashamed to call you his brother. He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. This is the heart and the attitude and the mind that, 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 that Father God and Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have towards you. Remember, they are an eternal community existing in absolute communion who created you in their image and in their likeness to be brought into the fellowship that they have enjoyed for all of eternity so that you and I could be a part of that. So we need to answer this question, what does it mean to be the body of Christ? And I think this is one of the great keys to end time revival. In other words, when when we realize, you know, we sometimes throw around these cliches, who we are and whose we serve, you know, whose we are and who we serve, these kind of things. But again, those things can can be just trite little sayings, you know, without ever really understanding um, the position and the status and the access that we've been given through the new birth. We need God's perspective on this. For too long, we've tried to understand these truths looking through a relationship lens instead of a fellowship lens. And you'll never see it the way God wants you to see it until you see it through the lens of fellowship. Now, we said this a couple of weeks ago. You'll never understand fellowship without understanding the truth about the body of Christ. 
But in the same way, you'll never understand the truth about the body of Christ without understanding fellowship. That's how, that's how intricately connected these two things are. Now, praise the name of the living God. Let's see what we've got time for right now. All right, let's, so let's go here. So what does it mean to be the body of Christ? Here, let's, let's start here. It's another place to start. 1 Corinthians 12. And uh, I've got 12 through 27. Let's just start with a few verses. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. If you underline things, highlight things in your Bible, you need to underline highlight that. So also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. The word one is used six times in these two verses. Verse 12 from the message translation. You can easily enough see how this kind of thing works by looking no further than your own body. Your body has many parts, limbs, organs, cells. But no matter how many parts you can name, you're still one body. It's exactly the same with Christ. So now we see in Ephesians 1 and 22, He put all things under Jesus' feet. God the Father put all things under Jesus' feet and gave Him to be head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. I really like that phrase, to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. To the church, I know it's divided by a verse break there, but if you take the number 23 out of Ephesians 1, 22 and 23 and read it the way it was originally written, he says the church, which is the body of Christ, is the fullness of Jesus who fills all in all. Now it seems that we get to this point um, week after week and then we start running low on time, amen, and I don't mean to just keep it's, it's kind of like when you, uh, um, you know, watch a television program and they, what they call it the cliffhanger. You know, they bring you to that point and they say, okay, stay tuned for next week, you know, that sort of thing. I'm not, I'm not trying to do that way. But there, there are certain things that, let me, let me give an example. The Bible says that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think. Okay. exceedingly abundantly above your largest request and wildest imagination. Okay, now, one of the challenges that we have is preconceived ideas about God, about what God desires. Um, we try to put Him in that proverbial box that religion has established the boundaries of for us. And when we read the Scriptures through those preconceived ideas with those particular lenses, if you will, it limits our ability to see what the heart of God for you and me really is. 
It is amazing how much we find in the Scriptures about God's desire to be one with us and how He has revealed this desire to us in these different um, examples. And yet many still think it blasphemous even. Uh, heresy, you know, some of the strong terms. Um, blasphemy, you know, to, 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 to dare even say these things when the Bible clearly says them. Now, this phrase, the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church, the body of Christ, is the fullness of Jesus who fills all in all. The church is the fullness of Jesus. We see in another verse that Jesus is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And then Jesus fills all in all. Now, Colossians 2, 9 and 10 is very clear. In Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. But notice also He says, And you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. And there's a target I'm trying to get to tonight, but I don't think we're going to make it. So let me just try to get a little bit of this, okay? What does it mean to be the body of Christ? What does it mean to be the body of Christ? What we see in Scripture is that Jesus does not consider himself complete without you. Now, we could preach in most any Bible-believing church in America or in the world that we are incomplete without Jesus. And people would say, Amen, and people would agree. But when we take it to the next step, that Jesus is not complete without you and me, that you almost have to practice saying it to say it publicly, right? Because it, it sounds so wrong. Because what it's doing is it's confronting the wrong beliefs that have been ingrained into us for so many years that are another one of those mental blocks preventing us from embracing these truths. Now, we would never consider God, because remember, God is three yet one. So can you save me just two minutes? 38 seconds. I don't know. Let me get this said, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, right? Three. Would we ever consider God to be complete without the Son? Remember, He became a man. His faith in His Father and what His Father said through the prophet David that He'll not leave my soul in hell, nor will He allow my body to see corruption. Okay? What was spoken by the Prophets and what was um, uh, illustrated by Jonah in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth three days and three nights, but then he'll come forth. All these things that, that, that Jesus believed, that when he became your sin and my sin and died and went into the grave and into hell, believing that his Father would not leave him there, 
But now watch this. What I'm, being, I'm speaking as a man to make a point because I want you to see this point. But let's say that something happened. Let's say that not on any fault of, of Father God, but let's just say uh, Jesus had somehow sinned or Jesus had, I'm, I'm speaking as a man. I know none of this happened. I'm trying to make a point here. If, if Jesus had remained in hell like, de- like Satan thought was going to happen, okay, would God ever be complete again without Jesus? I know it's an obvious question, but I'm just trying to show you. Absolutely not. Okay. In other words, we, it's, it's, it's the same as saying, you know, you're not complete without him. Amen. And God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, not complete without God the Son. Amen. See, when you understand that you are now the body of the Son, he's the head, we're the body. Stand with me. Stand with me. I praise God. I'm like mad. It's hard to stop. Watch this now. Watch this. Okay. Um, over the years, I've got to see uh, a f- more than one groom stand right down there. We have steps. Those of you who've never been here for a wedding, we have steps. We move this pulpit. We have steps that come on up here, right, you know. And, um, and so you stand there with a groom who's, who's there all kind of nervous, and all his groomsmen and bridesmaids are standing here, um, and the groom is there. And what is he doing? He's waiting. He's waiting for his bride. Amen. Amen. There are, there are a handful of moments that I would like to live again. And one of those was when I was standing at the front of a church, 20 years old, and Pam stood at the back of that church fixing to walk down that aisle and become my wife. Amen. It was a glorious, rapturous moment. All right? Now watch this, okay? Is the groom complete without the bride? No. Watch this, watch this. This one's easier, okay? Is the, is the head complete without the body? Okay. So if Jesus is the groom and we're the bride, if Jesus is the head and we're the body, how could he ever be complete without us? How could he ever be complete without us? Now see, again, if you try to understand this, looking at it from your perspective or through the lenses of relationship or through the lenses of religion, you'll just dismiss this as, you know, if he don't get off this soon, I'm going to find me something else to do on Wednesday night. Or if you choose to instead believe that with God, right, with God, he's, he does, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He's not threatened. He's not insecure. He longs to have the same fellowship with you as he has with Jesus the Son, right? And so now, because we're in Christ and Christ is in us and Jesus is in the Father and the Father is in Jesus, that leaves us in Christ, in the Father, one with Jesus, who's one with the Father, which makes us one with the Father. Amen. Amen. Father, you're good to us. Thank you. Thank you for opening our eyes to these truths. Lord, thank you. They're strong. Lord, it's strong stuff. And Lord, we receive it, and we believe it, and we respond to it, and we confess it, Father, that we are the body of Christ, flesh of His flesh, bone of His bone, literally the body of Christ. We confess it, Lord. We believe it. We don't just acknowledge it. We we confess it, and we believe it. And we ask you, Father, to help us live our daily lives in light of this truth and reality. And, Father, we recognize that we are complete in Jesus, but we are the body of Christ. We are the completeness of him who fills all in all, the fullness of him, the pleroma uh, from the Greek, Father, uh, of him who fills all in all. Father, I thank you that the groom is not complete without the bride and the head is not complete without the body. And the body is not complete without the head, and the bride is not complete without the groom. Father, these are fellowship 
truths, and I thank you that you're helping us see deeper and deeper into them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for being here this evening. Uh, Shake somebody's hand, hug somebody's neck, love somebody in Jesus.